Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into a Big Ten Championship Game edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour, right here on 106.3 KXNO, podcast-only edition for the second straight week as we're running into basketball conflicts, Cyclone Women's Basketball tonight on the air. That said, we will keep our weekly routine largely the same. Some basketball conversation a little bit later on, but obviously football takes center stage. Uh, my name is Chad Leistico, Des Moines Register Sports Columnist, and I'll be your host as always tonight, cover the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, for a living for the Des Moines Register, and uh, they are coming off a thrilling finish at Nebraska, which resulted in a 13-10 to win and a last-second field goal by Marshall Meter. And now it's time to preview number 16 Iowa versus number 2 Michigan on Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Tyler Tashman, my teammate uh, at the Register who covers the Hawkeyes, came here off the Indiana beat uh, and now gets to go back home, uh, to so to speak, uh, to Indiana. What, what are you thinking about all this? I'm excited for it. It should be fun to cover the game. And not only is it kind of, I guess you could say, full circle for me a little bit, but to, to think that we started the uh, season back at Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis, thinking that if, if Iowa uh, you know, was going to achieve what it wanted to, that they'd be back here for the Big Ten Championship uh, you know, this is where we'd be, but I'm not sure we could have envisioned exactly what would happen in between, uh, you know, July and, and where we are now. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. The first time I met you in person was downtown Indianapolis uh, the night before Big Ten Media Day. So uh, here we go again. We get to go back there. You're right. Full circle. I like that. Um, before we dig into the matchup, Tyler, I, I do want to start with Kirk Ferentz, kind of the head of the Hawkeye program. Uh, I have enjoyed kind of watching you uh, get to listen to Kirk, get to understand him, see what your opinions of him are, uh, since those of us in Iowa have have been around him for so long. And uh, you wrote a really nice piece at at hawkcentral.com that posted this morning. Um, I remember uh, the first time that you uh, interacted with him, you kind of compared him to like a uh, what do you say? A science teacher, like a cool science teacher. Yeah, I think it was like a social studies. Teacher. Social studies, like, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And he was an English teacher, so you weren't far off. But uh, I guess just uh, maybe give a uh, your thoughts on what you've seen from Kirk Ferentz, and I guess your your first four months in uh, sort of getting to witness how he runs things. Coming in, I mean, I just I didn't really know much about him at all. Uh, I knew that he had been around uh, coaching at Iowa for a long time, but, but other than that, didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about him. And, and I think what stood out being him in, being around him this short period is um, kind of the commonalities that I've seen with other coaches that are successful that I've been around and that they care about their players beyond just what happens in the game, that they, they build relationships. Um, it, it's not just about what can they do for the team, but, who are they as a person and 
just kind of that those interpersonal relationships and um, you know being ge- genuine, authentic person. And I think that that Kirk embodies a lot of those different uh, characteristics. We discussed uh, the All Big Ten teams, uh, at least the defensive and special teams, uh, yesterday in our on our YouTube pod at Hawk Central. Uh, we didn't talk much about Coach of the Year, which went to Northwestern's David Braun. Uh, certainly, Kirk Ferentz had a case to to win Big Ten Coach of the Year for a fifth time. Uh, I had the media vote this year for Iowa. Don't mind sharing that I did vote for Kirk Ferentz. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, any coach that was able to squeeze ten wins out of a roster that was was decimated, and then he'd throw on the sports gambling stuff. Uh, the firing of his son, uh, or impending firing of his son, or dismissal, whatever you want to call it, uh, that he has dealt with a lot. And I know you wrote about that today as well. It feels like probably in most years in the Big Ten, Kirk Ferentz would have uh, won Coach of the Year. But, uh, I mean, credited to David Bronze and just the, the job he has done, because, uh, you know, if we're referencing Big Ten media days in Indianapolis. I remember him addressing media you know, the media then and, and just thinking of what a difficult position he was put in uh, with, with all that was going on with uh, Pat Fitzgerald and him taking over. And uh, but, but for Northwestern to do what they had done this season under the circumstances that, you know, they were, I guess, to a certain extent, put, you know, put themselves into as a program um, that was impressive. And I think there's, there was certainly a case for uh, Kirk Ferentz or bronze, but, um, you know, both very deserving. And, and like I said, maybe, you know, in 90 or 80% of other years, Kirk Ferentz would probably have won. But just because of the, the circumstances that Northwestern had, I mean, it, that was pretty impressive, the job that uh, he was able to do given, you know, their starting point. Yeah, no, you know, no argument necessarily, you know, of David Braun over Kirk Ferentz or vice versa. For me, both deserving. Um so yeah, good job by him. He he certainly faced more off-field adversity. Kirk Ferentz's adversity was more on the field, uh, you know, losing players, you know, key players, stuff like that, and then winning the Big Ten West, beating Northwestern head-to-head. You know, that was Northwestern's only loss on the stretch was to Iowa. So um, good job by Iowa to to get that W, and it was key. I mean, remember we went into that game, Tyler, and it was like a four-way tie atop the Big Ten West going into that game at Wrigley Field. And, uh, you know, Iowa ends up emerging out of that, uh, you know, with a two-game cushion on the Big Ten West on everyone else. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking back to now, it's like that win ended up, you know, being a pretty good res- resume win. And as well did the, the win over Iowa State on the road because uh, given what they had to deal with kind of in this similar boat as Iowa with the gambling investigation, you know, they, they fought through a lot of adversity and turned out to be a pretty good team. So. You know, those two wins, Northwestern and Iowa State, that at the beginning of the season, uh, you probably wouldn't have circled as, oh, those are going to be, you know, wins that look decent on Iowa's resume. But given given where both of those teams ended up, those ended up being pretty good road wins. Yeah, and you add Northwestern to that. Iowa wins, you know, three road games against uh, seven and five teams, you know, teams with winning records, Wisconsin. Iowa State and Northwestern all finished seven and five, and then of course you you add the win at Nebraska to keep them out of a bowl game. That's a pretty quality win. I mean, I'm not going to say it was a great win, but a pretty quality win. And then of course they lost the the other road game at Penn State, which we'll get to a little bit later in comparing this uh, matchup with Michigan. But uh, Tyler, let's look ahead just a little bit now. 
Uh, we'll do a five big questions in a little bit to preview uh, Michigan versus Iowa. But before we dig into the matchup itself, I actually want to uh, look at the betting line. It's Michigan minus 24, and Iowa. the over-under is 35. It keeps getting smaller. The Michigan spread keeps getting bigger. Uh, what about Michigan? Uh, I've got a lot of things on my list, but what about Michigan is making this line so one-sided right now? Well, partly I, I feel like it's because Iowa just hasn't faced a team like Michigan so far this season. That the closest that they have is uh, Penn State and and Iowa. Obviously, that was a that was kind of a weird game for a few reasons, but Iowa got blown out uh, in that game. But uh, you know, I would say that's one. And also, I mean, Michigan is about as good a team of a team as there is in college football right now. Maybe with the exception of Georgia. And, you know, they haven't lost this season. They've dealt with their own drama. It's more self-inflicted with the sign-stealing allegations and all of that and uh, Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline for some of the season. But, uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy is a really good quarterback. Blake Corum is a really good running back. Uh, th- their defense, Mike Sainer still, uh, you know, he-, he is really good. So they're just a team that just doesn't have a lot of holes in it, that doesn't do a lot of things. Uh, poorly that does a lot of things really well so um, I mean there's we could probably go about this for you know another 30 minutes but there's you know it's going to be an uphill battle um, you know and and that kind of goes without saying yeah I think a lot of like external factors on in addition to the on-field factors um, go into this gigantic line I think part of it is that uh, Iowa played such a terrible game uh, two years ago in the Big Ten title game uh, on this stage, and Michigan uh, played tremendously, uh, t- completely uh, overmatched Iowa with its strengths, going against basically Iowa's biggest weakness, which was uh, right tackle. And their best player was was the number two overall, overall draft pick, and it was just kind of a a failed mission from the start. Uh, I think that's part of it, and yeah, I think the you know certainly the narrative out there that. Uh, has created a T-shirt now. Kirk Ferentz uh, saying uh, Iowa has great colors and easy to spell, and it's already on Raygun T-shirts. So uh, that was an that was an uh, answer to a question about why do people not like you know people love underdog stories, but they don't want to like Iowa. I, I'm they, that was quick moves on the T-shirt. Like I I didn't even know they could make T-shirts that fast. But uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting kind of storyline as well of. Iowa clearly the underdog, but you know Kirk Ferentz understanding that uh, maybe people don't necessarily like Iowa as an underdog, and I get that to a certain extent because if you are your, the casual college football fan, I I don't think you turn on an Iowa game and sit for more than and watch it for more than you know a, a few possessions because it's just not a I guess aesthetically pleasing type of brand of brand of football when it comes to offense, but it's the type of thing I think you have to come to appreciate a little bit more and uh, you know understand how Iowa plays and that uh, you know the way that they approach the game is to win and nothing else. And, and if that means bleeding out the clock or you know running the ball a lot, not you know just sticking to what their fundamentals are, um, you know it, that's. That's just part of the DNA of who they are. How important is it uh, to not get embarrassed on Saturday night? Obviously, we're going to get into ways Iowa can maybe try to win this thing, but uh, just 
how important is it, I think, across the board, whatever level you want to talk about uh, in terms of just not getting completely embarrassed on this national stage? You know, there's importance in that, but I also feel like there's not much for Iowa to lose. I mean, Michigan is going in as a heavy favorite. It would be shocking, really, for Iowa to keep it close late into the game and to even have a chance of winning. So there's, I don't really see much downside in, in uh, you know, this game for Iowa. I feel like they can swing for the fences. If if they get blown out, that's kind of what was expected. And uh, yeah, so I, like, I, I don't really see – I don't see there being too many negatives. Now, obviously, if they do get blown out, like, that's not going to look great. But Michigan blows a lot of teams out, and maybe that's just kind of Iowa finally coming back to earth after they've – somehow managed to eke out 10 wins with everything that they've uh, dealt with. So, And, and I think if, if Iowa can somehow make this a game in the fourth quarter, um, that's just where they thrive this season, really. And even if you include the invalid fair catch uh, signal ruling against Minnesota, like that was a really cu- clutch play by Cooper DeGene, and I know that he won't be available to play on Saturday, but Iowa is just uh, incredibly comfortable in those really tight games and if Michigan uh you know is in the uncomfortable position you you would have to think that Iowa would kind of feel some of that momentum and uh be able to kind of take advantage of it in a way that they have a lot of times this season yeah Michigan uh against Big Ten West teams this year at Nebraska 45 to 7 at Minnesota 52 to 10 home against Purdue 41 to 13. Now, if you're looking for a little silver lining at all, you're trying to find any kind of wrinkle. The Connor Stallion stuff kind of blew up the week of the Michigan State game uh, when in Michigan ended up winning that game 49 nothing uh, at Michigan State. So that was kind of a statement. Then there was a bye week. Uh, they had not allowed a team to score more than 10 points against them all year in their first eight games. But the last four weeks, since kind of the Stallion stuff, uh, broke, you know, uh, sorted itself out. Jim Harbaugh suspended three games. Michigan points allowed are 13, 15, 24, 24. So they've allowed more points. Now, could it be, you know, at all related? I think it probably is a little bit related to not knowing every single play that's coming. Um, now, Michigan's obviously a really, really good team. They proved that against Ohio State, uh, not taking anything away from that. But I think the, I think there's at least a little bit of – Maybe you're just trying to find any opening if you're Iowa, right? So, you know, could there be, you know, a little bit more access to to offense on Saturday? I think that's I think it's important for Iowa to keep it close. That's my that's kind of where I'm going with all this, and I think they have at least a chance. And we'll get to that a little bit later in predictions. But you know, they've been they got blown out in 21 over there, 42-3. They got blown out at Ohio State last year, 54-10 in an ugly ugly game by the offense. And the defense played pretty well for a while in that game. Um, the score doesn't reflect that. And then, of course, 31 nothing at Penn State this year. So you've faced three, you know, the three heavyweights of the Big Ten, and you've been pretty much thoroughly beaten, especially on offense. No offensive touchdowns in those 12 quarters. So I think it's important for Iowa to at least show some kind of uh, fight, stay in this game uh, as long as you can, not completely – uh, embarrass the Big Ten West. And I don't know if this is a good analogy, Tyler, or not, but uh, kind of circling back to what we talked about in our pod yesterday, maybe like uh, an Iowa basketball at Creighton. Uh, you know, the young team, 
you know, had had Creighton on the ropes for a little while, eventually kind of succumbed to uh, to the Creighton run you knew was coming. But that was a game I felt like you lost the game, but you still felt better about your team coming out of it. Yeah, I don't think at, at this point in the season you necessarily are looking for moral victories, but um, if Iowa could could make it a game... Well, I think the fans it. are. I guess what I'm saying is just as a fan base, I think you just want to be close. At yeah, least. no, I, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think that it, it would kind of validate what Iowa has done through uh, the first 12 games of the season and kind of show that the growth they've made. So, yeah, yeah I agree. I, you know, I think at least keeping it a fight and, and not getting totally, you know, destroyed is, you know, would be a significant <laughs> step in the right direction. That'll be our headline, post-game headline. Iowa does not get stro- destroyed in Big Ten time. Yeah, no, I mean, falls I thirty-one to twelve. Yeah, I mean, I think you. I mean, I'm sure Kirk Ferentz might not feel that same way, but you probably. I mean, if it's a seventeen to ten game, you probably, you know, twenty to ten, you probably feel pretty good if you're an Iowa fan. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I know there's. I know that's not the right answer for some people, but I agree. I think staying close gives your. It does give your season a little bit more validation because the narrative now is just you played in the worst division in history and you beat nobody and the one team you played, you lost 31 nothing. So let's see where they're at uh, in this game. With that, Tyler, let's get to our five big questions. Uh, we do not have a station break tonight. As I said, podcast only. We'll reserve some time later in the show for basketball conversation on the men's and women's side. Men with Tyler, women with Dargan Southerd. But now we're going to just keep trucking along into football. The little engine that could. The Iowa I'm just kidding. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, against Michigan. 7-17 Central Time kickoff on Fox. It's Gus Johnson. It's Joel Klatt. It's Jenny Taft on the call. As I said, Iowa plus 24, over under 35. Our five big questions actually starts with a uh, the odds makers. I put this out on Twitter Last night, and uh, we're going to circle back to it now. Which prop of these, Tyler, would you take if you had to take one? Iowa over 0.5 points in the first half, which is minus 135 odds at DraftKings. Iowa over 2.5 points in the second half, which is minus 115 now at DraftKings. And when I posted it, it was 0.5. So basically, does Iowa get a field goal in the second half? Does Iowa get a field goal in the first half or more? And then, or would you take Iowa over 0.5 touchdowns, which also is minus 115 odds? So, which of those three would be your best value play if you had to take one of them? I would take Iowa over two and a half points in the second half. I the when it dropped the the one about a half a point in the first half, like that's that's awfully like. I, I don't know if you'd say appealing, but I mean, that's eye opening. But I'm not like, you know, I think that the first half, there's a good chance that Iowa either scores zero or three points. So I think that might be more of a coin flip than, you know, uh, it, it might appear to be. But I think two and a half points in the second half, you feel like Iowa might at least break through with a field goal uh, if they're not able to score in the first half. And uh, I, I don't think a, a touchdown is a foregone conclusion. I think the the defense, if there are going to be one touchdown or multiple of them, uh, the defense could be playing a big role in that, and maybe the entire role. If it's a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown, or uh, you know, forcing Michigan into a mistake that they usually wouldn't make. So 
I would I would say that the two and a half points in the second half, and maybe that's because Michigan is up by so much mm-hmm. uh, in in the second half that they pull some of their starters and you know save them for get them health or healthy or make sure they're healthy for the playoffs. So uh, to True. me, that that's kind of the best value. Yeah, we saw that play out in last year's game at Kinnick Stadium. Michigan was up twenty to nothing going into the fourth quarter. Iowa ends up getting two late touchdowns or two fourth quarter touchdowns to lose 27 to 14 uh, on the Twitter poll, uh, tons and tons of votes, thousands of votes on this uh, Iowa over 0.5 points in the first half was the resounding winner at 45%. Iowa over in the second half was 24%. And then Iowa over uh, half a touchdown, 31%. So pretty split. Uh, I voted for the over in the first half over uh, just because uh, Iowa usually gets the ball first, so that gives you one extra opportunity to score. Iowa would also have the few minutes before halftime, if it has the ball, to maybe try you know a long Drew Stevens field goal. You think it's going to be Drew Stevens based on what Ferentz said this week? You know where you're going to try like a you know fifty some yard field goal, where maybe you wouldn't in the course of uh, of a second half where you're getting beat twenty eight nothing. So. Uh, I think the first half is probably where I would lean on that. But the point of the question, Tyler, is just to sort of underscore how little Iowa is expected to score in this game against a Michigan defense that is ranked number one, number one in the country in scoring defense. Yeah, and and I think it it speaks to kind of the up and, I would say, more downs and ups we've seen this season and and the fact that uh, Deacon Hill – who, who hadn't attempted a pass in college before this season, uh, you know, is the one leading Iowa's offense. And he has sort of settled in the last few games and showed growth over the course of the season. But this is also the biggest stage that he will ever have been playing on. So, uh, you know, there is there is some inexperience, you know, under center when it comes to him playing uh, under the, the bright lights at Lucas Oil Stadium. Michigan is outscoring opponents 241 to 65 in the first half. So absolutely imperative for Iowa to try to, I mean, obviously they're going to try, but to keep this game close at the break, you just want to have a chance going into the second half. Last year, uh, it was 14 or two years ago. I'm sorry. It was 14 to three at the break at halftime. Uh, it didn't feel that close, but that's what it was. And then uh, it became 42 to three uh, in the second half. Uh, scoring on defense will not be necessarily easy. Michigan has only committed seven turnovers this year, and this is even more amazing, Tyler. Uh, even when Michigan has turned it over, which is only seven times, they've only allowed nine points off those turnovers. Uh, so, um, you know, if you're counting on a defensive touchdown, uh, it's it's so rare that they actually turn it over. So uh, that does hurt the touchdown prop a little bit. I feel like. All right, number two on our big questions. Let's stick with the offensive side of the ball for the Hawkeyes. What advantages, if any, can Iowa find while while having the ball on offense? I don't know if I'd call this as much an advantage or just something that Iowa might just have to kind of hit on if they're going to have a chance of winning, and that's kind of those like bigger explosive running plays because Iowa has had success with those this season. Uh, Leeson Williams, that, that long one against Wisconsin. And then even if you look at like the Illinois game, it wasn't like a monstrous run, but Caleb Johnson's game-winning touchdown, uh, he, you know, he broke, broke three for 
broke free for you know a longer a longer run and uh, and then against uh, Nebraska, Leshawn Williams when Iowa got the ball back after the Ethan Hurkett pick, uh, Leshawn Williams broke three and really free and really got Iowa in better uh, field goal position for Marshall Meter to put it through for the game winner. So uh, I was going to have to hit on some of these kind of you know big swings or you know big runs or pick sixes or big swings of momentum that. Uh, you know, maybe they wouldn't on like as a consistent basis. They're going to have to connect on some of those, I think. Um, so that's where you know the offensive line has has definitely grown in a meaningful yeah. way since last season. So I think, and, and without Michigan has a really good defensive line, but there isn't. I don't think that kind of Aiden Hutchinson that uh, was was on the Wolverines two two seasons ago uh, when Iowa played them in the Big Ten championship. So. Uh, to me, the running game being able to hit on some of those, uh, you know, home runs would could really be uh, huge. You hit on it there. Uh, you know, big uh, a big long touchdown was the only touchdown Iowa score has scored in the Big Ten championship. They scored one touchdown in 2015. It was an 85 yard pass from C.J. Beathard to Tavon Smith. Nobody will ever forget it. It gave Iowa a 13 to nine lead in the fourth quarter. Um, Almost looked like that was going to hold up as the game winner. Didn't, uh, and obviously Iowa didn't score a touchdown two years ago. So uh, you're right, big plays are possible, and I think Caleb Brown's return. We haven't talked about this uh, on tonight's show yet, but his his return, I think, a receiver is really critical. He's been sort of the one playmaker on Iowa's offense that has emerged, uh, you know, beyond the running backs. And you know, he he's got he talked about on Tuesday, you know, he's got to win some one on one matchups. And we know Deacon Hill has a big arm, so um, I think they have to try to go deep uh, a few times if they can. Hopefully the pass protection holds up. They're going to have to take a few shots and obviously try to connect on one or two of those. Maybe it's not an 85-yard touchdown, but uh, again, we're seeking small advantages. That is one playmaker that Iowa still has uh, that can maybe make a difference on Saturday. All right, number three, let's flip sides of the ball, Tyler. What is the formula to create turnovers for the Iowa defense. Here's the here's the roadmap. J.J. McCarthy, 74% completions this year, has thrown only one interception in Big Ten play. That's one interception in nine games. He has five for the season. Three of them came against Bowling Green. Um, Michigan has lost two fumbles all year, but they have put nine on the ground. So what how, what's it going to take for Iowa to get the turnovers that it needs to stay in this game? Sebastian Castro, uh, I think. I like it. I think, yeah, I think he's going to play a huge part in it. Just the aggressiveness that he plays with, he just he has that innate ability of just to be able to create chaos, which I think is exactly what Iowa is going to need if they're going to somehow keep this game close and maybe even come out with a win. And, and it's a shame that. Uh, you know, we won't be able to see Cooper DeGene play in this game because this this would be the type of game that you'd love to have him, uh, you know, as a dynamic, uh, not only uh, defensive back, but also returner in the punt game because Iowa needs to get as much help as it possibly can uh, to its offense. But I think Castro will kind of be the guy that, that needs to spearhead the effort defensively in terms of uh, creating chaos and some turnovers, I think, you know, Jay Higgins can definitely play a role in that. You, you hope that maybe someone like Xavier Wampa, who, uh, I mean, he's had a he's had a 
good season, uh, but he hasn't really made like a flashy play. Uh, maybe since that first game against uh, Utah State, where he had the pick. So you you hope that maybe some of the guys in the um, on defense, Jamari, or on the in, you know in the defensive backfield, whether that be you know Jamari Harris, Deshaun Lee, someone like that, uh, and and that also could start with the pressure up front as well. But uh, I think Castro might really be the key to. Iowa trying to be disruptive defensively. I like that. Uh, I was going to echo the same thing on Cooper DeGene. I feel like if he played in this game, he would have found a way to create a turnover uh, with uh, some way. Uh, he's just so good, so athletic. Obviously, the Big Ten defensive back of the year. Uh, he would have been a huge factor in this game. And I'm sure they're going to try to go after Deshaun Lee. Uh, I agree. I'm glad you brought up uh, Xavier Wampa. But I think the biggest key, Tyler, to, to creating that turnover is the rush defense. Iowa's rush defense has been phenomenal in the month of November. And if you look at Michigan's rush offense, yeah, Blake Corum leads the country with 22 touchdown runs. He has scored in every single game this season. He's the only FBS player to carry that distinction. So uh, a huge weapon on that side of the ball. And they also have Donovan Edwards. Uh, But they're averaging as a team 4.44 yards per carry, which is the same as Nebraska. So it's not like uh, last year's Michigan team, which averaged 5.58 yards a carry. So Iowa just needs to find a way, and it's not not just, but like uh, it has to find a way to slow Michigan on first and second down in the run game and create third and long situations. Then you get, then you can get some opportunities to create some some turnovers because you're not going to create many turnovers if it's third and two, uh, even fourth and one uh, constantly. Because uh, I think Michigan's going to go for fourth downs too, because they're not going to be afraid that that if they miss it, that Iowa's offense is going to hurt them. So it's just really important to to get stops on first and second down and try to create some third and long situations. All right, number four, Tyler, offbeat question here, but it's topical. Does Brian Ferentz wear Hawkeye gear on Saturday, and does it matter? It matters, and I guess I'll just say no. But uh, I, I'm just thinking about this that. Since the news dropped about Brian Ferentz, uh, Iowa hasn't lost, right? They've, they've, because uh, the last loss was the the Minnesota game. Then the news about Brian Ferentz came between that game and the Northwestern game. Iowa hasn't lost since then, and I remember kind of wondering of like how might we, how might the perception of Brian Ferentz's play calling change, knowing that he is not going to be coming back as offensive coordinator next season. Uh, but I feel like it. It really hasn't been like that notable, uh, and maybe that's just the fact that Iowa's offense just has continued to not be great. They had they had a good performance against Rutgers, and and I think it has, with Deacon Hill especially, taken at least small steps in the right direction. But um, I, you know, it it, it kind of feels like some of that drama dissipated pretty quickly with wins, and I I think that's probably at the time of the news dropping, that was probably the best case scenario. And it, it feels like it's, it's kind of played out that way for Iowa. Iowa coaches and players talk all the time about the only people that matter. You know, they don't listen to the outside noise. The only people that matter are the ones in the building uh, to them, you know, and, and what the, what they think of each other, et cetera. And I don't think there's any doubt that Brian Ferentz is giving his all for all these games and is trying to win these games. So, no, it does not matter uh, that he's not wearing wearing the Hawkeye gear. 
And uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, why would you break up the streak right now? Why would you put on Hawkeye gear and ruin that that mojo? So, <laughs> uh, all black for Brian Ferentz, uh on on Saturday indoors would be my prediction. And uh, another uh, another uh, below average offensive performance, <laughs> most likely. Uh, number five. What one thing happens Saturday, Tyler, for Iowa to have a chance in the fourth quarter? In other words, what has to happen? What one thing has to happen? One thing, all right? Gotta keep it to one. Has to happen for Iowa to have a chance in the fourth quarter. Yes. Yes, it has to I would say forcing turn. I would say a, a defensive touchdown, I guess, if one, because that kind of wraps in uh, making Michigan make mistakes and scoring all into one. So I'll say a defensive touchdown. Yep, that's what I was going to say too. Score on defense. I think that's the, that's the one way you can keep it close. And I'll throw in a, a special team score as well, like a you know Ontario Thompson uh, block punt, you know Cohen Entringer scooping it up for the score, or whatever, um, or whoever it is. <laughs> yeah, score on defense. Uh, Hawkeyes scored on defense in the 2016 game against Michigan. It was a safety, but they scored on defense, and maybe it's just a safety this week. Uh, they also scored on defense on the first play of the game against Ohio State in 2017. Uh, they won both of those games as a 20-plus point underdog. Uh, good, t- good stuff, Tyler. Um, you know, we'll have a little time to talk about bowl possibilities probably after the game in our post-game pod Saturday night. Obviously, if Iowa wins, it's the Big Ten champion, and it goes to the New Year's Six. If Iowa loses, uh, the main thing is to as long as – uh, Texas beats Oklahoma State. It's most likely that Iowa is going to the Citrus Bowl because that keeps Penn State in the New Year's Six. Uh, Big Twelve just gets one team in the New Year's Six, Texas, and uh, then the Citrus gets to pick Big Ten team. That team would be Iowa. They want Iowa if it's not Penn State. So most likely Iowa versus Ole Miss in the Citrus Bowl, but we will sh- let that all shake out on Saturday. And now, Tyler, as we wrap up the football conversation, it is time to make our score predictions. Uh, lay it on us. Uh, what you know? How much does Iowa win by on Saturday? Does Iowa win by? What's going on over there? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just setting uh, you up for the big upset pick. All right. No, I hear you. Um, no, I, I'll pick Michigan 27-6 to six, uh, winning. I, I think Iowa can I think Iowa's defense for some of the game will give it enough. We'll give it a shot to win, but the, the problem is that Iowa just can't play from behind. If they get down by more than ten points, I think the game is almost pretty much over because there's just not enough firepower offensively to get back. We saw kind of how quickly things got out of hand in that Penn State game, and uh, Michigan is by far the best team that Iowa will have faced this season. So I think. Just everything that Iowa has—I don't know if you want to call it luck or the—you know—the the, the ways that Iowa has kind of been able to Houdini act out of a bunch of games this season will kind of finally catch up to it against a team where it can't afford that—you know—really many mistakes at all. So, uh, twenty-seven to six is my prediction for Michigan to win. Ever since uh, the Penn State game, the thirty-one nothing loss, Iowa has scored at least ten points in every game. Uh, I realize this this defense is maybe the best Iowa's faced all year, right? Probably on par with Penn State, but uh, the, I feel like the offense has made enough growth to to uh, 
to give them a touchdown. I'm going to give the Iowa offense an actual touchdown in the Big Ten Championship, and I'm even going to throw in a Drew Stevens field goal. So the Hawkeyes score 10, but obviously that's not going to be enough against Michigan. So I've got 29 to 10. 29 being a, an odd score, I know, but it could be two touchdowns, five field goals. Uh, it could be three touchdowns, uh, three field goals, and, and a missed two-point conversion, something like that. So 29 to 10. I guess we've both got Iowa covering. Uh, you've got the under. I've got the over. Why am I doing taking the over in an Iowa game? That's just craziness. When, didn't you just take that? You didn't take it against Illinois, too? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Jeez. Yeah. I did go oh, under God. on Nebraska. I missed it by one point. I had 13 to 9. But uh, we're going to go 29-10. We're going to give the Hawks a touchdown. I think that's the big upset uh, upset pick of the day <laughs> is giving Iowa a touchdown. All right. Good, talk, good conversation. I will see you over. Uh, in Indianapolis uh, for the game, Tyler. All right, looking forward yep. to it. Uh, we will, t- but you're staying with me because we are going to talk next some Hawkeye hoops. Make sure to catch our post game podcast from Lucas Oil Stadium, probably sometime in the middle of the night, uh, live on our Hawk Central YouTube page. But coming up next after a short break, some Iowa men's basketball talk with myself, Chad Leistico, and Tyler Tashman. Chad Leistico, Tyler Tashman, rejoining you on Hawk Central. We both work for the Des Moines Register. Let's talk a little bit Iowa of Iowa basketball, Tyler. Uh, Hawkeye men uh, in action tonight against North Florida. 8 o'clock game, right, at Carver? Correct. 8 o'clock Central. Okay. and uh, But two games occurred leading up to this, and we want to talk about those now. Uh, two Power 5 opponents. Uh, Hawkeyes looked horrible <laughs> against Oklahoma of the Big 12, but then they bounced back with a pretty nice performance against Seton Hall and got the dub over in San Diego over Thanksgiving. Tyler, just give me your overall impressions of that one-and-one weekend for the Hawkeyes. Like you said, the the Oklahoma game wasn't very pretty. Um, there was a lot of things, certainly, that Iowa needed to clean up. But I thought it was encouraging the way they bounced back against Seton Hall. Like, th- this was a, uh, you know, group of four teams that, you know, all – power six when you include the Big East. So they, they were, uh, you know, solid programs that, that are capable and, and certainly kind of a good measuring stick to see where Iowa is right now. And um, college basketball, you know, it, it, it's a long season. It's one that isn't defined by, you know, one loss or one poor stretch of play uh, before March at least. And, and so Iowa being able to weather a bad performance and come back the very next day, and come out with a win against, um, you know, a Big East team I thought was notable. So, uh, you know, learned, I think, in the Oklahoma game, this is a young Iowa team that's still figuring itself out, still very much a work in progress that, you know, the loss to, that loss made it pretty clear, but uh, also showed some resilience in a, in a meaningful way in that Seton Hall game that, to at least come out with one win in, uh, in the two games. Yeah, Peyton Sanford... Patrick McCaffrey, Tony Perkins all kind of struggled in their own way against Oklahoma, and all three had had nice responses. So I think that's what you want to see from your returning veterans. Those are the three returning veterans that you knew you had on this roster, so that's encouraging. Uh, Patrick had 10.6 boards, Tony Perkins 14 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, and Peyton Sanford led the way with 22 points. Uh, obviously, Ben Crickey's been doing, doing a pretty nice job overall, uh, so that was encouraging to me. Uh, I think the one one guy that sort of emerged, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I was driving back, didn't get to see the Seton Hall game, or at least much of it, and uh, 
But it's Owen Freeman. Owen Freeman seems like he is really uh, stepping up. Uh, does he? Does he end up getting more playing time here in the near future? Yeah, I mean, he's been pretty good basically since the start of the season and even all the way back to the foreign tour. Um, but he he has been really good, especially given that he's a freshman. And he gives Iowa a dynamic that it didn't have last season with some length in the paint, some shot-blocking ability. Last season uh, with Chris Murray and Philip Robracha, obviously two really good players, but kind of it was they were undersized so Owen Freeman gives them a little bit more flexibility uh, in terms of the lineups they can go with I would actually like so Owen Freeman coming off the bench now um and I guess you could either say Patrick McCaffrey or Peyton Sanford start at the four with um Ben Cricky at the five as a really undersized five I, I like seeing Ben Cricky and Owen Freeman on the floor together because Ben Cricky has a really good offensive skill set but to have Owen in there as to be able to add some rebounding help, some shot blocking presence. I like those two being on the court together. And, and like I said, the starting lineup has not reflected that. Uh, and it, it, there's not an indication that Fran McCaffrey is going to change that. But at least when you know they're coming off of the bench, uh, I, I like to see that pair in and, and at the same time because they do kind of add a, a nice, I would say it's a nice tandem and a nice kind of dynamic. Well, after North Florida tonight, Tyler, things get a little bit uh, hectic, let's say, on the Iowa schedule. So uh, at Purdue on Monday, you will be over there for that game. You're staying over in Indiana. Uh, like a, uh, I know you love Purdue, too, so that's, that should be a really fun game for you. Um, yeah. You know. uh, well, no, I, actually, because it was, it was funny. When, when we were at Iowa State for the football game, I got very Purdue vibes from Iowa State. I don't want like that to sound like a homer for like Indiana or Iowa or anything, but I just got Purdue vibes from Iowa State. What does that mean? What What do you mean Purdue vibes? What is a Purdue vibe to you? I, I, don't, I probably should just leave it at that. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I probably should not go into any more of it. <laughs> well, Purdue is number one in the country, so that, and Iowa has always struggled against the Boilermakers, especially. Over there. So that could be ugly. Three days later, at Iowa State, Cyclones are playing incredible defense this year. That's going to be a really, really tough game. And then they come home next Sunday to host Michigan. So next week is going to be pretty nuts for Iowa basketball. Do they win any of those games? One and two wouldn't be terrible. If they go 0-3, that would be troubling. Um, I, I think you hope you can beat Michigan at home. Michigan hasn't. I think has overachieved earlier in this early in the season from what people expected, but they haven't been great. If you win that and you can somehow steal one of two on the road uh, against either Purdue or Iowa State, I think that would be a massive win. If you can get out of that stretch two and one, yeah. that would be really impressive. If you go one and two, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know, to, to be able to get away with one win. If you go zero oh and three. Uh, it's it's going to kind of raise some more questions about you know where Iowa is going this season and their ability to beat better competition because they they do play some lower level programs uh, after that going into yeah. the new year but but in the Big Ten you're going to be playing good teams pretty much every game so they're going to have to find a way uh, to somehow win those games. So one more question: Does Iowa football keep it closer to Michigan? 
or does Iowa basketball keep it closer at Purdue? Oof. Uh, I think football keeps. Uh, wow, that's you tough. picked a twenty-one point margin. So. No, you know what? No, I'm going to say basketball because the thing about Iowa's offense is that if they're if Iowa's offense is hitting, they can beat anybody in the country. That's the, that's the thing about the offense. But if it's not like they, they like it was it wasn't against Oklahoma, uh, they can lose to almost anybody as well. So I'll, I'll say. I'll say that I was, you know, I think there's a better, to, to use the word upside, I think Iowa, Iowa basketball has a better upside against Purdue than the football team does uh, against Michigan. Okay. I won't, we might, maybe we'll see a little more Evan Bronze in that game, just with, uh, uh, you know, the big man for Purdue. Oh, yeah, Jack I think Eady. that would be, a, I mean, he, he's played sparingly, but I think that would be a great opportunity to use him against Zach E. Like, if, yeah. if he picks up 3,003 minutes, so what you know you right. you put Zach Eady in a blender as much as you can and, and try to get physical. I think Riley Mulvey's going to put Zach Eady in a blender. Uh, well, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, he's redshirting. That's red shirt. Oh shoot, we're not going to see Mulvey. All right, yeah, it's up to Evan Bronze then. To, yeah, he's redshirting. I unless I forgot about that. <laughs> he's going to pull the red shirt. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Pulls the red shirt to face Eady and just dominates. Anyway, well, uh, yeah, safe travels. Uh, I'm, I'm going to meet you over there because of the uh, basketball situation. But uh, can't wait to see you Saturday. Should be a lot of fun in Indy. Yep, see you there. All right, thanks, Tyler. One more short break, and we will check in with Iowa women's basketball and the latest on Hannah Stolke's injury and Caitlin Clark's push for 3,000 points. Joining me next, Dargan Southerd on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawks Central. Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register taking you to the finish line. And now joined by Dargan Southerd, who covers Iowa women's basketball for us at the Des Moines Register. Dargan, uh, we got to send you to Estero, Florida for the Gulf Coast Showdown Classic. I can't remember what it's called, but they won the Gulf Coast Tournament. Hawkeyes go 3-0 and uh, down there, including an impressive finishing win against Kansas State. Uh, how was your time down there? Yeah, it was good. Uh, the Gulf Coast Showcase, Chad. Come on now, we got. Uh, <laughs> did I call it? Gotta, did I get it right either time? Uh, I think you said showdown. <laughs> showdown. <laughs> throwdown. <laughs> it's a Bobby Flay throwdown. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. exactly. Uh, that was a good time. Um, uh, for those who didn't follow the action, Estero's kind of right in the Fort Myers area, so um, we were down there. Um, it, they got hit pretty hard by a hurricane last year. Um, in September, so there was still a lot of destruction around uh, around town, but it was a good time. And uh, obviously, coming back into the frozen tundra was not super fun. Um, it was about a sixty degree difference getting on the plane and getting off the plane in Iowa. So um, that part wasn't wasn't too fun. But other than that, I mean, for Iowa, it was uh, all things considered a pretty solid weekend. Um, you know, they came out the first two games against Purdue, Fort Wayne and Florida Gulf Coast, two games where they were pretty big favorites, uh, rolled through those pretty uh, uneventfully. Uh, Hannah Stolke's injury was probably the only noteworthy thing from both of those two games. Um, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, you know, I, after what happened against Kansas State in, in Carver-Hawkeye Arena, um you know, I know everybody, they were a little coy, Iowa was, on, on wanting a rematch, but 
you could tell between the lines that they wanted one and they got one and they took advantage of it. And so, um, you know, 77 to 70 over Kansas State, second time facing them in 10 days, uh, shot the ball a little better, still had some uh, lapses where Kansas State really showed its size and its defensive length. Uh, but Iowa was able to fight through those much better than they did the first time around. So uh, three wins in three days, and now they kind of get a little bit of a reset here um, going into December, which starts Saturday against Bowling Green. And so um, if you kind of looked at Iowa's schedule beforehand, you could tell that November was going to be quite a bit more difficult than December. Obviously still some important games coming up, Iowa State, the start of Big Ten play. But uh, getting through this first month with one loss, um, I imagine has to feel pretty decent for Lisa Bluter right now. Yeah, and they're just they're still number four in the country after that loss. I think it's so important, Dargan, uh, to get the win the second time against Kansas State because we know how important NCAA seeding is at the end of this year. We're a long ways away from March Madness, Selection Sunday, all that. But if you lose both times to Kansas mm-hmm. State, which is a real possibility, especially when you don't have Hannah Stulke in that game against their size. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty significant mm-hmm. accomplishment. If you lose both those games, all of a sudden, that's a, a real negative comparison tool as you get down to parsing out the one, two seeds, maybe even a three seed down the stretch. Yeah, and it was also big because, you know, obviously it's not common to play a non-conference opponent twice in the same season, but because of this little quirk here, it kind of worked as a – uh, uh, a lead up for how conference play works in a lot of ways where you circle back around to a handful of opponents. And so for them to uh, really hone in on what went wrong in that first matchup, fix a lot of it um, and be able to pull out the win along with, for all the reasons that you said uh, later in the year, um, it, it was, it was an early uh, significant moment, I think for Iowa and um, Kansas state is a team that uh, is tricky because they really, what they do well is a lot of things that Iowa struggles with, you know, interior dominance with Aoka Lee, uh, defensive length with their guards, um, you know, can force Iowa into some street shooting struggles. And there were stretches of that in that game that second time around. So um, I think it was another nice early test that Iowa passed and um, can now kind of reset uh, Bowling Green on Saturday, Iowa State next week, and then Wisconsin begins being to play after that a little bit of a an easier, kind of smoother entrance into you know the the second month of the season here. Yeah, and uh, it was a Florida Gulf Coast game, correct? When they hit twenty of thirty three from three. Yep, that's yeah. the uh, the school record for crazy uh, threes in a game, especially yeah, considering was... the struggles we've seen from Iowa from three earlier in the year. So that's an encouraging development. Yeah, and and Chad, you were next to me for this game. That I would say that game in particular a little bit reminded me of the Ohio State uh, Big Ten Tournament final game in that it was really just both sides of everything that Iowa was doing was just dominating at an elite level. You know, I think that game, the Florida Gulf Coast game was like 55 to 19 at halftime, something like that. So, um, you know, they had Florida Gulf Coast in a five and a half minute scoring drought in the first quarter. So it was it was pretty much dominance from from both ends in that game, and that really set them up to to play well on Sunday as well. All right, you teased it, Dargan. Uh, Hannah Stolke, obviously, you know, maybe the second most important player on the team. We'll see how this season shakes yeah. out, but certainly right up there behind Caitlin Clark. Uh, did not play uh, the last two games down in Florida. 
mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Bluter, you met with her earlier today. What was the latest? Yeah, so just to go back a little bit, um, you know, Friday, uh, early in the fourth quarter, Hannah Stolke's um, running in transition, gets a, an outlet pass from Molly Davis, goes up for, you know, what looked to be a wide-open layup, and her right foot just kind of collapses, and, and she hits the, the, the court pretty hard. Um, there was kind of a, a long-standing issue there. The arena is a hockey arena primarily, and so the ice is right underneath the court, and so a lot of times that causes excessive condensation on the court. And so, you know, all throughout all the games, the, the cleanup crew – the, the players who come out or the people who come out and wipe the floors, they were very active. And so uh, there was some thought that that might have been why she she slipped and, and fell and um, appeared to have her right ankle wrapped um, the rest of the tournament. Now, Lisa Bluter didn't specify exactly what her injury was today when we talked to her, but it seems to be that's what she's dealing with. Um, according to Lisa, Stokey is doubtful for Saturday against Bowling Green. Um, and it appears that there's cautious optimism she'll be back next Wednesday against Iowa State. So um, it seems like, you know, it, it was kind of an ominous scene when she hit the ground. Um, and, and all of this was happening in a 30-point game. So you can imagine uh, where everybody's uh, head might have been just in terms of, of how to handle all that. But, um, you know, it seemed like it could have been worse. And, you know, Iowa – to its credit, did have an extended stretch on Sunday in the second quarter where Addison O'Grady had two fouls, Sharon Goodman had two fouls. And so, um, you know, trying to combat Aoka Lee and her size, mm. uh, A.J. Ediger got a, a cameo. I saw that, a cameo, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and then the, the craziest thing was when Iowa went five guards uh, with Marshall, Clark, Davis, Martin, and Affalter and had Kate Martin guarding Six six Aoka Lee in the post. That was uh, quite quite the scene to see. And so um, Iowa kind of survived that. You know they had a, a double digit lead at the beginning of that quarter. Got to the half up one still, and were able to to kind of push that lead back out and and hold on. So um, they're I guess the good news for Iowa is they are kind of going through a Hannah Stolke list stretch to see yeah. how they'll handle that. Because, you know, even when she does come back, there's no guarantee that she's going to jump right back to the expectation that she has and everybody else has for her. So, in a way, um, obviously, Iowa needs Hannah Stolke back to as close to 100% as possible, as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, they they are getting a little bit of experience Mm -hmm. on how to deal with her absence. And, And if any of the other bigs go down or if there is any extended foul trouble later in the season. So... Uh, kind of, I guess, making the the best of a of a tough situation in that regard. Well phrased, and I, I did want to ask you about this. I was going to do it off air, but I might as well just do it on air. <laughs> there, what was going on with Bluter? She was. You said it was like as angry as she's ever been, or, or oh, there was something oh, going on in one of those games where you, where I was like watching on Twitter or whatever because you know I didn't have flow hoops, so I was just I was living vicariously through your coverage. So <laughs> yeah, uh, what was going so, on? Bluter got hot. Yeah. Oh man! So okay. So this is this is a whole story here. So this was in the fourth quarter of the Kansas State game on Sunday, and uh, Lisa Bluter and the Iowa staff had been begging for a three-second call on Aoka Lee the whole game, 
And, you know, obviously that's not a call that's going to get called every time, but it seemed like at least one probably should have been called by that point in the game. And so there was a play where uh, Lee was in the paint. She gets fouled. Iowa's bench, particularly Bluter, is, is arguing with the ref again. And Lisa's mad, but it's like mad at the ref mad. And so, you know, I, I was sitting on the opposite side of, of the Iowa bench. And so, you know, Lisa turns her head to kind of go walk back to the bench. And then all of a sudden she whips her head around and it's like a 10 times madder than she was previously. And so, you know, video was kind of hard to come by. Thankfully, uh, Hannah Stolke's dad was live streaming the game from the stands. Um, so that actually provided some <laughs> I don't helpful think video. That's a, I don't know if Flo Hoops is going to be happy about that. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Probably, probably not. But it actually was very helpful video to kind of kind of go back and look. And so what happened was is as Lisa is arguing with the ref about the three-second call, you can see Kansas State's coach, Jeff Mitty, yell something toward Lisa and toward the bench and kind of point at them. And that's when she hit that you know, kind of second level of anger to the point where Jan Jensen on two separate occasions had to really calm her down and get her back to the bench. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, in the moment, like you, like where her anger flips is so definitive yeah. that I kind of, I kind of guessed that maybe their coach had said something because that's kind of, you know, a little bit of an unwritten rule is, you know, coaches don't yell at coaches and coaches don't yell at opposing players directly. And as it turned out, that's that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, Lisa said after the game that she's never had a coach yell at her in the middle of a game from the sidelines. And so that seems to be what happened. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've had some off-the-record uh, <laughs> assessments of, of what was said from some people who were sitting at the scorer's table there. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there was a lot of choice words. Um, I, think, I think mainly to sum it up is, Kansas State's coach Jeff Mitty was frustrated that Lisa kept going to the officials about wanting a three-second call, and so she got the, one right. The, Didn't she finally get she one? Got, yeah. So that that's that's what kind of happened after all this is not even forty-five seconds later. I think it was Kansas State's next possession after that uh, they got their three-second call, and so um, from there Iowa kind of calmed down and 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 reeled everybody back in, but. I did. I did look at the video, and they did. Midi and Bluter did go through the handshake line and did shake hands briefly. They didn't stand around and chat with each other, but um, <laughs> it was it was it was something to see. And um, you know, I've been covering Lisa for in Iowa for this is my seventh season, and um, maybe she's gotten that mad in practice, but in in terms of in a game, I have never seen her that mad. And so that kind of lines up with her saying that she had never had that happen before mm-hmm. because it seemed like a exclusive level of anger that uh, she doesn't get to very often and more than just, you know, being mad at the ref. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of what happened there. It was, it was added another layer to, to the whole deal on Sunday. Amazing. Uh, good, good reporting from down there in Florida, Dargan. We haven't mentioned, uh, really, Caitlin Clark, who had two huge threes at the end of that K-State game to sort of win it, 77-70. Now she sits, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, 46 points away from 3,000 in her career, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Does, you know, I suppose she could do it Saturday against Bowling Green, but it seems like uh, you know 
probably call off the dogs a little bit before that happens, you would hope. So uh, does this happen at Hilton Coliseum next Wednesday, and how significant is it? Yeah, I, I, I would be a little shocked if it happened Saturday just because um, I think Caitlin won't be in the game long enough to score that many points. Um, so I think Iowa State is pretty much a safe bet because there's no way she's not going to score 46 points in the next two games. I, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty clear. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy how many of these huge milestones she has made kind of be nonchalant. And, and I'm not saying that this one isn't in particular, but there's, you know, kind of take the, the program scoring record that she set a few weeks ago at UNI. You know, that that should have been a huge deal, and it was kind of a nonchalant thing. And so, you know, this is going to be a big deal, but and, and it should be a massive deal, but with her kind of eyeing Kelsey Plum for the all-time record, I think that's that's when it's going to be, oh, my goodness, we're watching something that has never happened before. And so, you know, there are these moments along the way, and but, but in a way, I, I think that really just – emphasizes her greatness even more is that all these things that should be so hard to reach and so uh, difficult, she's made almost automatic. And so um, Iowa State does feel like a fitting place for her to hit hit a milestone like that, a place that she's never won. And, and I imagine that will certainly come up uh, between now and next Wednesday too. But yeah, Kaylin had a good tournament as well. Um, need, need those threes at the end of the game on Sunday were very big and very needed. So uh, she should be uh, ready to roll again on Saturday. She was the showcase MVP. That's a big shock, right? Molly Davis yes, made the yes. team too. Made the team too. Yeah, Molly team. Davis. She's is, playing uh, well. Say, the headband. Yeah. There, there was kind of a funny moment uh, after the game on Sunday. So um, obviously, Molly is a Central Michigan transfer, just like Marshall Meter is. Um, and so I asked Molly oh, if yeah. her and uh, Marshall cross paths at all at Central Michigan. <laughs> she actually had no idea what I was talking about. So, okay. <laughs> uh, she, 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 she knew about the, the kick, obviously, but she didn't yeah. know that Marshall had come from Central Michigan. So Caitlin okay. had to fill her in. Uh, yet, another, <laughs> yet another assist from Caitlin on that yeah. one. But, Caitlin yeah, Molly, everything. everything. It's, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> but, but Molly, yeah, her aggressiveness, I feel like, is really shined through this weekend, uh, particularly on Sunday. And so, um, you know, I think she's becoming the – she's definitely stake, taken a, a step from last year and seems a lot more comfortable this year as well. Most definitely, yeah. It's been fun to watch her progress. Anyway, thanks, Darren. you got a prediction for the Big Ten title game, by the way. I'm going to go 20 – or I'm going to go 31-6. 31 six uh, Michigan. Michigan covers okay and over but I do think I do think the first half I do think Iowa scores in the first half so I think that over hits okay well. field goal yeah field, field goal, goal. all right Drew Stevens or Marshall meter uh I'm gonna say probably Drew Stevens right. I think yeah, I, I think, think so he's, too he's getting the nod. dome conditions settle things down he'll be fine right right anyway well I'll see you for the podcast late late Saturday right Yep, it'll be, uh, I don't know what time we'll be in. No, you guys will be on the Eastern time, <laughs> so it might might be uh, might be Sunday where you're at. It'll be so. Sunday for sure, 8, 7 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on Saturday night. But anyway, thanks, Dargan, for the women's basketball coverage. Uh, I'll be at Hilton on Wednesday, and I will uh, see you back at uh, Wells Fargo Arena against yeah. uh, Cleveland State uh, a couple State. weeks from now. Yep, that should be a fun day for sure. 
Absolutely. And you're going up to Madison as well, right, next weekend? Yep. Yeah, and that's a, that's another game that appears to be sold out or very close to it. Um, and if you know anything about Wisconsin women's basketball, they are very, very bad, and nobody seems to care about them. So the fact that <laughs> they sold, sold out, out wow. they sold out the Iowa game is maybe the most absurd that development is, of all the absurd development. That's a big arena too. That's a really yeah, big yeah, arena. Yeah, that's Cole Cole Center holds you know seventeen, eighteen thousand. Yeah. So wow, it's it's gonna be crazy. But I mean, the tickets were fifteen bucks, so yeah. Um, I imagine it'll be you know a lot of black and gold. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Dargan. Appreciate your time today. Yep. Thanks, Chad. For Tyler Tashman and Dargan Southern, this is Chad Leistico saying so long and good night. Talk to you after Saturday's Big Ten title game. And again, next Wednesday night on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.